Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Frida. <laughs> so, let's have the fun part. This is a part I like. Let's talk about the best and, and best movies of Marilyn Monroe. Okay, number one. You say number one, because I know we agree on number one. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Our number one, we already said it. It's Some Like It Hot, directed by Billy Wilder. And, of course, that is not just Marilyn. It is all the people who contributed to that film. It is so funny. It is so incisive. I don't know. Do we need yeah. to say, We talked about it. I mean, we, we can talk about one of the most iconic, what has become one of the most iconic scenes, which doesn't involve Marilyn, which involves, is it Jack Lemmon? Okay, but we don't want to, are we, are we going to be spoilerific here? I guess we don't have to be. I okay. guess I just will say that one of the scenes in the movie, the end scene, the final scene, has become so iconic. And it's very much in this day and age acknowledged as like sort of a transgression or a subversion since that's what this podcast is about of like gender back in the day. Okay, and let me say that I want to add to this because this mm-hmm. is the more modern point of view. But I also want to add that Billy Wilder was German. Yeah. I believe he was German or Austrian. And he brought a European sensibility, a sophisticated point of view to sexual dynamics that Americans tended not to have because of the puritanical black and white binary point of view. And this comes through, despite the censors, in Some Like It Hot. Oh, it's so brilliant. Because Billy Wilder was one of the co-writers on this film. It comes through in a witty, intelligent, it's just holds you in this wonderful space of like, oh, wow, that's so clever. And what about number two? Now, number two, I think we agree on this one as well. Yeah. I'm going to let you. You're going to you're gonna test me again? No, I'm not testing. Not testing. Not testing. Trusting. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, number two. Okay, number one, some like it hot. For me personally, number two is gentlemen prefer blondes. It's not just Marilyn. Yeah. It is the other actors in the film and the director and the writing. All of it is so important and so wonderful that it supports her role. But, yeah, of course, she is the light in the center. There's no question. I mean, she, generally speaking, except in maybe some of her dramatic roles, but even then, she always cuts through. And so the best films are the ones that stand up around her and don't just get kind of mowed down. Right. Now, here's a great quote from Marilyn, and I think that kind of supports that. She said, Hollywood's a place where they'll pay you $1,000 for a kiss and 50 cents for your soul. I know because I turned down the first offer often enough and held out for the 50 cents. So she really was struggling around that. And she didn't see that she actually was supported in these films by great talent. So now number three, I don't, I think we'll agree on number three, but I'll let you say your number three. Yeah, I would say, I mean, in terms of Marilyn, my number three is The Seven Year Itch because it showcases her. Yeah. So well. And that iconic imagery. Yeah. And she's lovely. And I mean, I am a person. I'm a woman. I'm a heterosexual woman. But I could understand why a man would be completely taken in 
completely charmed, completely overcome by her beauty and her and the innocence she portrays in that film. I totally can get it. Is that your number three or what is your yeah, number three? I agree. Okay. I agree. I agree. What's so, your hidden gem? That is a roughy squuffy. Okay, I know what mine is. Okay, you say yours first. And I'll see if see if I agree. I think there are plenty of hidden gems in the Marilyn Monroe there catalog. Are, there are. I will remember a lot of the films, but I feel like I have to give a nod to her ambition. Yes. And, that, and so the hidden gem for me is a dramatic film that she was in. It's not one of the top three because it's not holistically amazing. Mm-hmm. There are even elements to it that are kind of, like we've said of a lot of these films, male gazy and kind of gross in a way that I just can't appreciate. <laughs> and it's not her fault, clearly. But I can't put it up in my top three. I think that she did an amazing job i'm on tenterhooks what is this movie it's the misfits it's the wow it's the film that her husband wrote for her it's her last film she's very good in it i i will i agree something about it kind of moved me or definitely moved me and she's very intelligent there there are scenes that he gives her that are very insightful and i think that he does actually place her as the motivating factor in the film in terms of she embodies the humanism and the compassion of the film. And so she does drive everybody's decisions ultimately and their changes as characters, their arcs. And yet at the same time, there's moments of it's gross or whatever. But And that is, we're talking about the Clark Gable and the, yeah. ugh, the men. Yeah, the two men that you know befriend her and follow her around they become gross and they're very like and they're they're kind of old and their choices are all based on her availability to them but her role even though she fought against it as an actress she was like this this isn't what i want to do this is you know exactly what i was doing before it's not because she really brings an ephemeral element to it and she brings a very intense compassion yeah i think don't you yeah toward the horses yeah and, and and ergo toward humanity as as symbolically toward humanity but toward the horses there's yeah so we described before this is a, a story about nevada she is um a recent divorcee who goes to nevada in order to live there and then get her divorce and then there's the cowboys who rope the wild horses and she links up with them links up with them and learns about this and she sees the horses and she kind of thinks what's happened well once she understands that they're going to catch these horses these beautiful free wild horses and they are going to sell them for dog food but basically what they do is they lasso them with a tire so the horse can't run and there's one filly that has a a foal who's following her and the foal of course won't leave its mother and it will stay there and they will be caught for dog food i mean that's i think that's the key right it's they're not for riding right they're not for you know recreation they're not going to just kind of live domesticated they're going to be killed and eaten they're scrappy wily and i think that that's what the film is getting and i I think that maybe even when she read it she probably maybe didn't quite understand that the metaphor is that the spirit of these horses is the woman's spirit and the the catching of these beings these beasts these animals and and denigrating them by the use they're going to be is the same way that a woman's spirit 
is denigrated by the use of men. And I, I really see that, that that comes through in the film. And Arthur Miller is a great playwright. And is, I think it's impossible for him not to be creating these subtextual themes underneath. Yeah. And, and she is the person that we are behind. She is our surrogate. She's speaking for our ideals and for our own innocence and humanitarianism. And it's beautiful. And there's a scene where she's breaking down over the horses and it's kind of, it's, it's the crux or the crucible for the men. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to uh, sort of ignore her pain? Or are they going to respond to it and change their ways? And it's... It's and, pretty raw. And it brings out the essence of each of these men and their raison d'etre, how egotistical they are. And, and it's so interesting because in the end, the men do not come off well. Yeah. Because even the men who do the right thing, they only do it because they finally decide, well, I can keep my manhood, yeah. my toxic manhood, and still do it, rather than giving in to what this woman is telling me is right. It's really about acknowledgement yeah. and acknowledging it. And that's the part I didn't like about the end, is that... Yeah, no, the ending is kind of stupid, honestly. And that's another reason that it doesn't make it into the top three. But somehow these, so again, subversive mm. themes, these non-mainstream sensibilities come through. And it's so interesting when you have a director by, like John Huston, who is, I mean, that guy was a manly man. He was, that man he slept was around, of, that man smoked cigars, that man hung out He was the Hollywood's men. boy club, yeah. He totally was. Yeah. But you have to say that in that underneath that there was this artist, and an artist can see beyond their own ego. And I think that I actually have to credit him for bringing out Arthur Miller's subtext. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And Clark Gable, is he does a good job. And so does Eli Wallach, who had the, the really, really long career. And he was he ended up being kind of, uh, I'm giving a little spoiler here, so the villainous male. Yeah. And then Montgomery Clift is in it. And he is the ideal male. Really, really the ideal kind of Jesus-like male and then clark gable is kind of the the compromise between the two if you will now i, I just want to say eli wallach live he just died in 2014 at the age of 98 wow that guy had a he long career he was yeah i like eli wallach a lot i really respect him i thought lot. he was great in the movie honestly even he though was. you know i hated him the character character yeah he was very he was very good. Yeah. He's one of those actors again from the method acting who really can bring it on. Yeah. He wonderful. There's a lot of nuance in a lot of these parts even though I'm like the dudes are shitty. There's a lot of nuance in there. There really is. And so we got to give credit for that. Um, but again, Marilyn is the central focus of the film and it's very interesting in that way, yeah. but it was her last film. So that's, that's really interesting that you choose that. Yeah. Okay. So now I have to choose my hidden gem and this is a rough one. Mm. So I have to decide whether I'm going to go with one that personally, just because of my history, movie history watching in even my unwoke days that I just really liked this film and went with it. Or should I pick something that's more reasoned? So I honestly am just going to go with my unwoke choice. Sure. 
which is Let's Make Love. Yeah, okay. I figured. <laughs> That's the Eve Montan movie that we were talking about that she made uh, that really was part of her downfall. And this is a movie where she plays an actress in a film troupe who basically is kind of like her. She's she's very sincere. She's kind of a method actress. And she knits and she reads books. And Eve Montan is the rich, rich guy who is trying to infiltrate the troop because they're making fun of him. But he sees the bodacious babe and he wants to get in with her. But he, but he understands immediately that she despises the rich. She despises the money. His usual tactic will not suffice. And so she's going to be attracted to the poor downtrodden guy who can't buy his dinner, who's trying to make it because she's got this big heart and this sympathy. And so he plays that part and he draws her in. But in the end, he reveals his richness and she goes they, along. They, with they, it. Kiss, they kiss in an elevator. Sorry, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Here's the thing. But you know that's that. going to happen. You know that's going to happen. There's. I think because there were so many issues during filming, even though they were having an affair, they don't orchestrate it super well. It's kind of clunky about her attraction to him. It's not sexy at all. No. But it is funny, and I'll tell you why it's funny. I will tell you because Yves Montand, as the richest man in the world, he decides he he wants to be uh, good for... He wants to get into this acting troupe. So he has to have a... He has to be funny, and he has to dance. And he has to sing. So he hires the three greatest people in the world to tutor him. So as cameos in this film, we have Milton Berle. You really need to be no old stuff. I'm sorry, guys, who are not who are who are young and fresh and don't know this. But Milton Berle, who was Uncle Milty, who was on American TV at the at the at the beginning of TV, who was the biggest star in TV in America. Uncle Milty loved to dress up in dresses and put on makeup and do travesty. And the other thing he loved to do is he would walk on his ankles. He'd turn his feet all the way so his ankles were on the floor. And he'd walk and he'd say weird ga 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 stuff. And America thought that was hilarious. So he is training Yves Montan how to be funny, how to walk on his ankles. And Yves Montan is playing a stiff proper elegant frenchman it's hilarious and then they get bing crosby oh god look up bing crosby if you know who he is to tell him teach him how to sing i think that's the one that'll come through to most people bing crosby was the crooner along with frank sinatra of that time then they bring on gene kelly singing in the rain gene kelly one of the greatest dancers ever to teach him how to dance and barely can get this guy to do a step. For me, I love this part. The other bit I love is that Tony Randall is this poor, benighted employee who is trying to make this work out because he's trying to keep his job. And of course, I I totally appreciate that. Can sympathize. Now, I'm going to turn this over to Zoe to talk about the musical number... My Heart Belongs to Daddy, which is a great song. Oh. A great, great, great song. But there's, it's, a, it's weird. Yeah. You go. Oh, it's great. Okay, so Marilyn, she, does, she actually does a very good dual role here. The, the seams of the film don't mesh together very well. They don't stitch up together, the love scenes and everything. But she does great 
as both this really sympathetic, sincere, interested in history, wanting to learn kind of girl who's not into money, actress, and then she performs these numbers and the role in the production, which is to be Marilyn Monroe. And she does the scene, My Heart Belongs to Daddy. <laughs> and again, as my mom has noted uh, when we watched it and everything, this was like, again, she was a little heavier and everything at this time. Well, let me let me say this. This was a period where Marilyn was really having a hard time. And Marilyn was known for binge eating. And she yeah. was binge eating and taking drugs. And George Cukor was tasked he has to film her and yet she is not looking good and not only is her her well she figure, is looking good she's just not looking like they want her i think she looks great okay but she doesn't and look also like they her want her skin too. is terrible yeah and you can see this with the makeup yeah if you watch it especially in hd you can see the way they've done the makeup i appreciate yeah. your your feminine body positive yeah. attitude i mean i think she looks great she just doesn't look like they want her to and she doesn't look as skinny as they want her I, I i love her in this film yeah. whether she's fat or not yeah i love her anyway go ahead she comes down a fireman's pole or something <laughs> and she starts doing this number my heart belongs to daddy and it's it's oh my god it's my heart it's belongs pe- to daddy it's, it's pukingly like saccharine and infantile in a certain way <laughs> and yet she just does it with such commitment well the thing is and, is that is that, <sighs> that the sugar daddies were called daddy so it's my heart belongs to daddy as in the man who is financing and buying her bracelets and so forth and then of course it's the double entendre my heart belongs to daddy my real daddy yeah and so they have you know boys playing baseball and stuff around her that's kind of young (laughs) and harkens back to this like wholesome 50s she's super hot in the number and it's really weird yeah no it's but it's cool i I love it it. is and i love the whole thing there's a there's a scene where eve montan has to break through this paper wall and do he has to do a a rooster crow it's hilarious this movie is whacked out I, i it's very enjoyable. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I think we're making it sound more, I don't know what, um, R-rated than it is. It isn't. Oh, it I isn't. mean, it's the 50s or the 60s, so it's very tame. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of innuendo. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's totally fun. I don't know. I got a kick out of it. Me too. I watched it in middle school for the first time. And at even in middle school, I was like, this is problematic, but it's also fun, which is the thing about cinema that you just have to either accept or not accept. And throughout our podcasts, which just seem to go on and on and on, this is a great, wonderful topic. I'm, I'm re- realizing yeah. the riches of it. I just want to start with Marilyn's filmography, and we're going to go through it, and we're going to say which movies are worth your while. And we've already said the top three and the two gems so we've really covered most of it. Okay, so this is this is the TLDR, which is too long, don't read. Uh, so this is the summary for people who want to know which Marilyn Monroe movies to watch or not. Okay, all about Eve. Yes, fantastic. Uh, the other one is a Clash by Night, which we did talk about at length. Don't bother to knock, which we also talked about at length. Yes, and then. Yes or no on Niagara? I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm going to say yes because I kind of remember some images from it and I feel like it's a very quintessentially American from that time. It's a beautiful looking film. The colors are, are amazing. Joseph Cotton is, 
is in it. And we did talk about it in an earlier episode. So I feel like we have pretty much covered Marilyn here. I'm so glad you stayed with us. It's so wonderful. Now, the next bit we're going to do is this series on subversive blondes is not done. But we are going to go to the antecedents and pre- and the uh, descendants. descendants descendants of Marilyn. And so we're going to talk about Jean Harlow, probably a little yeah. bit of length. We'll also mention Betty Grable, who I think was pretty much a mensch when it came to passing the baton to Marilyn. And then we will also talk about Jane Mansfield. And as we do our research, it's possible, oh, and Sabrina, Sabrina. who was considered to be the English Jane Mansfield, and then maybe just a little bit about, I don't know if we'll talk about Madonna again, we might mention her again, and Deanna Doors, maybe a few others, but just to kind of give you a sense of the contextual bookmarks for Marilyn. But I don't know, I throughout this podcast, I think I have come to understand that I really appreciate and honor Marilyn's legacy which in a way I don't think I really understood before yeah me too I, I want to say a final piece and then please. I want you to lead us out please you raised me basically to appreciate Marilyn in terms of her screen magnetism and her importance in terms of the iconography of American culture and how cool she was and that she was smart beyond her roles plus i gave you a bolo tie with a portrait oh. an actual literal portrait of marilyn monroe on it it's pretty cool and i call it 19- my marilyn monbolo <laughs> from the 1980s from ni- when i was in the 1980s when i was young yes go ahead sort of linking into her character and her diagnosis with borderline personality right. disorder the symptom of borderline personality disorder splitting where you can think in black and white and where yes. you tend to think about people specifically because it's such a socially driven disorder right that's all about your connection and recognition and acceptance and stability or instability with other people mm-hmm. and your self-image that splitting on people that black and white thinking I'm sure was so much of what she went through with Arthur Miller and probably her other husbands too um, where she was disillusioned with them at various times and that led to a lot of turbulence and a lot of those violent episodes and everything but I think it's amazing that she managed to despite like that being maybe her framework for people and viewing the world that she was a gray actor Mm -hmm. that she was always in between what people expected of her and who she was and that she created something that transcended both of those things well let me add this to that Talking about the split. Yeah. As you were saying that, it came to me. Norma Jean Mortensen. Right. Marilyn Monroe. And when she would talk about Marilyn Monroe in the third person Mm -hmm. as this other being, that's a split. So she was this person and then she was this person. And this person being Norma Jean Mortensen, who was the young, needy, unacknowledged sex object to many people. And then there's Marilyn Monroe, powerful, successful, sex object to many people. But nonetheless, she was never able to link the powerlessness in her to the power that she developed. And I think that that was what led to her not being able to be on the planet anymore. R.I.P. Marilyn, thank you for all that you've left to us. I really hope our listeners come back and listen to our finalizing episode 
about uh, subversive influences laws. and the descent. And please let us know if you this is something that you're aching for us to talk about. We may or you know we may not do it, but we may. We, we probably will, yeah, especially if you're our first reviewer or rater. Right. We, you know, we're totally cool and we love, love all kinds of things. So we'd be happy to talk about it. It doesn't even have to be a movie or a TV show or a book. Now, do remember that Zoe has very limited reading time. And that's one of the problems with doing books is that so I we, can, we I can read, but she doesn't have the time. Hey, if you want us to talk about more sandwiches... <laughs> we'll be happy to do it. Yeah. Love you guys and thank you so much for listening. We just we have a great time doing these. We really did. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Graham.